Let's start reading in verse 1 of Malachi chapter 4. It says, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear My name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in His wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall, and ye shall tread down the wicked, and they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in that day, that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses My servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and ye shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children of their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So right here we have a short chapter, only six verses, but I'm telling you, I'm gonna we're packing some meat in here tonight. Alright? We're gonna I've got a lot I want to try to help you with tonight because there's some things that can be confusing about this chapter if you don't understand certain concepts. And honestly, um, you know, what I'm going to be preaching tonight, I mean, this is a lot of this is stuff I've learned very recently that has really helped me out and just unlocking certain things uh, when it comes to Old Testament prophecy. And I, I really think this is going to help you tonight when we read this because there are things that are confusing. Because first off, we see this, you know, he's talking about the day of the Lord that's going to burn as an oven. Okay? Now, we often get confused because we're going to show you, look at some verses in a little bit. You know, in Peter, it talks about a coming destruction by fire, the elements melting with the fervent heat. When you read about the day of the Lord in the Old Testament, it often looks like it's referring to Armageddon, yet we all say the day of the Lord is when the rapture comes, and there's things that just seem weird with the timeline of what we teach about how end times are going to play out versus what the Old Testament says. But I think after I explain a few things to you, a few concepts that people often just miss, I think it will help it all make total sense. So, um, And notice too, all right, I'm going to get ahead of myself a little bit here. Notice what it says in verse 4. It says, Remember ye the law of Moses My servant, which I commanded unto you in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. So notice how here He is. He's telling them about the day of the Lord coming. And what does he tell them? Is there a call for faith here, or what does he tell them? He tells them to remember the law of Moses. Okay. Now the dispensationalists would say this is showing that they had a work salvation in the Old Testament. I mean, in the very last part of the Old Testament, we see him telling them to remember the law of Moses. Why? Because they were supposed to follow the law in order to be saved. But I'm going to show you that's not what this is teaching us here, and. Uh, it talks more about him sending Elijah, that prophet, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord come. And then this statement too, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers of the children and the heart of the children of the fathers. What does that mean? You know, what does that mean? And then the very last sentence in the Old Testament, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. What does that mean? Okay, what curse? What would that curse look like? Okay, these are all things that, you know, I've never really known for sure you know what it's talking about but i think i'm going to be able to help everyone understand what it is tonight i think i can tell you what it is so anyway in order to understand what's going on in this chapter it's important that we look back at where we left off in chapter 3 
Alright, so notice in verse 17, it says, And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him, then shall he return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. Okay? Remember I mentioned how we use that phrase, uh, make up his jewels. There's a song, when he cometh, when he cometh to gather his jewels. We use that as a song about the rapture. And here, God is talking about how he's going to come, he's going to make up his jewels. It's something that he's going to do before the judgment comes. That I believe he's referring to when he talks about the day of the Lord here. Okay? So, in chapter 3, we're also told that Elijah was going to come and was going to purify them. He was going to purify them. He was going to be like a refiner's fire. What does a refiner's fire do? It removes impurities. He's going to be like a fuller's soap. He's going to clean them up. He's going to prepare them to receive the Messiah. But we all know, we looked at in the New Testament how Jesus said John was Elijah that was to come. But you know what? You killed him. They killed him, and they're going to do the same thing to me. They rejected John the Baptist. They rejected the Messiah. Therefore, the plan that we saw in Malachi did not play out. It did not play out that way. It ended up playing out another way. So Malachi also prophesied God was going to come make his jewels, and he was going to spare those who thought on his name. Okay? So look at verse 1 again. It says, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. So what is it that God is gathering them up to be spared from? The day of the Lord. Okay? The day of the Lord. Judgment. Okay? And this creates a huge, huge problem for the pre-tribbers when you see this right here. Why? Because this prophecy is to the Jews, isn't it? He's, this prophecy is directed straight at Israel, and yet he's telling them they're going to be spared from the day of the Lord. But notice the little uh, thing here. It mentions, unto you that fear my name. Okay? But turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So it, and, I, and I point this out because you know we teach that the day of the Lord is when the rapture comes. Uh, and then you know we all would agree, and the pre-tribbers would agree, that we're not appointed under wrath. But yet then when we look at the tribulation, they'll see all that's going on with the Jews. And they'll teach, you know, seven-year tribulation is for the Jews. Okay? It's all for the Jews. But the thing is, the Jews here in Malachi were promised to be spared from the day of the Lord. So, you know, if we're getting spared from the day of the Lord just like the Jews in Malachi, you know, wouldn't that mean these promises apply to us? I mean, I don't know. I just think that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? But yet, they want to say that the day of the Lord is all about the Jews. It's all about judgment on the Jews. But no, God in Malachi, He's telling them, no, I'm going to spare you from that. I'm going to gather you up before that comes. It's the exact same thing He says in 1 Thessalonians 5. Verse 1 says, But the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. 
for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are the children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So notice... We've not been appointed to wrath. We've been appointed to obtain salvation. And therefore, the day of the Lord will not overtake us as a thief. It is not something that is going to come upon us. Why? We're going to be caught up before the day of the Lord comes. That's what we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Before the judgment comes. And is that not exactly what he's prophesying here in Malachi? Before that day of the Lord comes, before that day comes that's going to burn as an oven, He's going to come and He's going to gather up His jewels. He's talking to Israel here. But once again, it's not just because they're physical Israel. It mentions, but unto you that fear My name. The people who are rejecting Christ that are of Israel, they are not of Israel. For they are not all Israel that are of Israel. So whenever... You know, whatever these pre-tribbers are going to tell you, well, you know, you're claiming promises that belong to the Jews. Well, you can tell them that when they say they're going to be spared from the day of the Lord, because it's the same thing that First Thessalonians five says about us is what Malachi three and four teach for Israel to them that fear His name. So, you know, I don't know what they're going to do with that, but it's clear here whoever he's writing to, I think we'd all agree it's Israel, but to them that fear His name they're going to be pulled out before the day of the Lord comes. Before that day that comes and burns as an oven. So it looks to me like the church in 1 Thessalonians 5 is claiming the promises of Israel. And rightfully so because they're the real Israel. So notice how the day of the Lord burns as an oven. Look what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 7 says, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as the thief of the night. Same thing Apostle Paul is talking about in 1 Thessalonians 5. They of the Lord come as a thief of the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are in, shall be burned up. Seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. So, there's no doubt that the event that's being talked about here in Malachi 4 is the same event that Peter talked about in 2 Peter chapter 3 and the Apostle Paul talked about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. There is absolutely no doubt about that whatsoever. Now turn over to Zechariah chapter 14, just a few pages back from right before Malachi. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 8. And notice what it says. 
And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea. In the summer and in the winter, it shall be. One thing we know when Jesus returns, His foot's going to step on the Mount of Olives. It's going to be split in two. I forgot what directions it is. But it talks about uh, a stream coming from the hinder sea to the former sea. If you look on a map on Google Earth, that's talking about the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea. And there's a direct line that goes right through that just like the Bible describes. You, you can see that. So this is clearly something that it's talking about here that happens right at the end of the Daniel 70th week. Alright? Verse 9. It says that the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day. There shall be one Lord in His name one. And the land shall be turned as a plain from Geba to Rimmon, south of Jerusalem. It shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate, unto the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananiel unto the king's wine presses. And men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. And this will be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. Does anybody think that's probably talking about that day that's going to burn as an oven? I think I think it's safe to say we're talking about the same time right there. And that is going to be the final result of the day of the Lord. And a lot of people will look at that where it talks about the fire and everything and, and they want to associate the day of the Lord only with the final day, you know, at Armageddon. Okay? But the thing is, I do believe all those events that happen when the wrath of God period starts, it all leads up to that. God's preparing the armies to come together during all those horrible things that are going on and the seven trumpets and the seven vials. And we talked about that in the book of Revelation. How the main event, it's at the battle of the great day of God Almighty. But all those other things, they are a part of it. They all lead to it. And the day of the Lord is not a... It doesn't have to be a 24-hour period. It doesn't have to be... And I think proof of that too is in Second Peter when it's talking about a day is with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. So, but it is a specific time where all that's going to take place, and I believe it begins right after the rapture. So, look at uh, verse 21 of Zechariah chapter 14. It says, Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts, and all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and see therein. And in that day there shall be no more Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. Okay? Now, why did I read that verse right there? Well, we don't have time to go through everything in Zechariah, but when you look at Zechariah, I mean, it clearly is all about Israel. There's no doubt about that. In the book of Zechariah, it's where it talks about him observing the Feast of Tabernacles again. There's a lot of things in Zechariah that we would say are end times prophecies that seem to be dealing directly with Israel and exclusively with Israel. And there are things in Zechariah, when you look at it on the surface, it doesn't seem to completely line up with the New Testament timeline of end times events. Now, why is that? Because there are certain key events in the book of Zechariah and throughout the Old Testament that there is no doubt that those events are the same events that we see talked about in the New Testament. For example, 
the day of the Lord, the day that shall burn as an oven. We see in the Old Testament that there is a resurrection in Ezekiel chapter 37. We see that there's a Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38 and 39. We see references to all these things in the Old Testament, but they don't always seem to line up perfectly with what we see in the New Testament. Why is that? Well, it's because, and I'm telling you, Malachi proves this to me more than anything, there's things that changed. There's things that changed with the New Covenant. The prophecies that we see in Malachi are Old Covenant prophecies that are clearly conditional. And because they did not keep the conditions of these things, things changed. Okay? And, I, and I'm going to, one of the best proof verses that things changed, I'm going to show you, is John 3.16. Okay, and I'll, I'll we'll get to that in a little bit. John three sixteen, it's what it's what proves what I'm what I've been trying to uh, you know teach myself and everyone else. But let me I don't want to get ahead of myself. But notice how though at the end of this passage he mentions no more Canaanite. Okay, there's not going to be any Canaanite in this what we would call the New Jerusalem, right? But there's a problem with that because turn over to Matthew chapter ten. Actually, there's going to be a Canaanite in the New Jerusalem. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, it says, And when He had called unto Him His twelve disciples, He gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus, and Lebius, whose name was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. One of Jesus' disciples was a Canaanite. Now, if you look up Canaanite in the New Testament, you'll only see it twice. And I've had people try to tell me he wasn't a Canaanite. He was from Cana of Galilee. So he was a Jew. Because they were all Jews. And I actually would agree that he was a Jew, but I believe he was a converted Jew. I believe he was a Canaanite that converted to Judaism. But notice, but he actually was a Canaanite, not from Cana of Galilee. Because first off, we're not going to go back and read again. Read every one of the apostles' names. It doesn't mention the nationality of any of them. Only Simon the Canaanite. Why? Because that mattered. And proof that it's not talking about Cana of Galilee is in John 21.2. It says they were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee. So Nathaniel was from Cana. So why didn't it say Nathaniel the Canaanite? It only said it with Simon the Canaanite. Why? Because Cana is not the same as Canaanite. Yes, the words are similar. Yes, in the concordance, their numbers come like one after the other. Okay, But that doesn't prove anything. Okay, Just read the Bible. If you let the Bible define itself, it's clear that he was in fact a Canaanite. So, what, what's going on here? All right, why did Jesus do this? Well, first off, once again, just because there was an old covenant does not mean that God always knew that there would be a new covenant. God always knew there was going to be a new covenant and we see glimpses of it throughout the Old Testament. Jesus always knew there was going to be a new covenant. And I, I personally think one of the reasons He picked the Canaanite, it was... Just a reminder. It was a picture. 
that this isn't just going to be about the Jews. It's going to be for the whole world. I believe Jesus used Simon showing his new and better way. Because what does it say in Acts chapter 17, verse 26? It says how he has made us all of one blood. Okay? We, so we don't, we don't worry about nationalities. Okay? We don't, that, that doesn't matter with Christ. That was a new concept in the new covenant. Nationality did matter in the old covenant. Nationality did not matter in the new covenant. So, you know, we don't we don't factor those things in. We don't worry about those things in. All we care about is souls. All we care about when somebody comes in is are they confessing Christ? If they confess Christ, they're fine. Doesn't matter where they come from. Doesn't matter their nationality. You know, we don't even care if they're legally citizens of the United States or not. As long as the cops aren't trying to catch him and throw him out, you know, they can come to this church as far as I'm concerned. I don't, I don't really care if they're illegal. So, uh, you know, I, so I do, I think Jesus was, I think he did this on purpose. And so, you know, but why, so why didn't Zechariah chapter 14 did it mention no Canaanite? Because under the old covenant, there wouldn't have been a Canaanite. Because under the old, it was the new covenant where Jesus broke down the middle wall of partition. Y'all understand that? Jesus did that through His death on the cross. Jesus Christ blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. He nailed those things to His cross, referring to the things against us as Gentiles. Jesus wiped all that out at the cross. Had there been no cross then those ordinances would have continued to have been against us. And then if you were a Canaanite, tough luck. So thank God for the new covenant. Thank God for the new and the better way. And I would think all Canaanites would say, Amen to that. Once again, all the changes in the new covenant are better. They're all better. The Jews are the only ones who would disagree with that. you all understand that? Jews are the only ones that would disagree with that. Jews are the only one that would have a problem with it, us just all being of one blood right now. You know why the Jews have a problem with that? I'll tell you why. Because they are the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. They don't like the prodigal coming home and being with the father and the fatted calf being you know, killed for him. They don't like that. That's how they've always been, and that's how they still are today. The only people that have a problem with this teaching that I'm teaching tonight are Jews and Judaizing Baptists. And I'm talking about dispensationalists. They're the only ones that have a problem with that. But there's no doubt, uh, there's, the Bible's very clear in this, and I don't need to reteach all that. So, you know, we don't need to try to make figure out how to make everything in Old Testament end times prophecy fit with New Testament end times prophecy. It doesn't have to all say the exact same thing in the Old Testament that it does in the New Testament. It doesn't have to. Why? Because things have changed. And if there's a difference, then you know what we do? We follow what the New Testament says. Dispensationalists get it backwards. Dispensationalists they interpret the New Testament in light of the Old Testament. We do the opposite. We interpret the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. That's the way Bible prophecy works. If you show somebody something from the New Testament that says the events play out like this and this and this, and somebody shows you something from the Old Testament that says no, it plays this, 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 
New Testament trumps the Old Testament. So, um, no, there's no doubt about that. So now look what it says in verse 3. Malachi 4, verse 3 says, and, he, and ye shall tread down the wicked. Alright? Look at this. This is another problem for the dispensationalists. Okay, this is another, this is another problem for those who teach that we're going to come back riding on white horses in Armageddon, right? With Jesus. But when He comes back, He's coming to save the Jews. Right? Isn't that what they teach? He's coming back and then all Israel is going to be saved. Alright? But here in this prophecy to Israel, notice how He says, and ye... Alright? All dispensations agree. Talking to Israel. And ye shall be, tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in that day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. So let me ask you, how can Israel tread them down when it's very clear that treading that takes place when Jesus treads the winepress and the fierceness of His wrath, it's in the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And isn't it funny how whenever you know these pre-tribbers try to debunk what we teach and they don't understand the post-trib doctrine, how I was like, you know, they think they're going to get raptured in Armageddon. They think they're going to get you know caught up in the sky and then come right back down on a white horse right away. But that's obviously what they must teach for the Jews. The Jews are going to get raptured up at Armageddon and then come right back down. Otherwise, how are they going to tread down their enemy? Okay, truth is, once again, this is talking about Israel, but those who fear His name. Real Israel, those who are saved. So this, this promise here, while it was directed towards national Israel, understand, they lost that inheritance. They lost that. We have that. So what we see here that was given to Israel... We're going to claim it, and it just lines up perfectly with what we see in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 15. So, but at the same time, at the same time, while they would all agree Revelation 19 is us, and I don't know what they would do about this here because they're going to say it's talking to Israel. It's clear though that this is to us, not just physical Israel, but those who fear His name. That's for believers. But notice that excludes physical Israel. Physical Israel is going to be getting tread down during that time because they rejected their Messiah. And they're going to be in big trouble. So, Israel will be on the receiving end of this judgment. So now look at verse 4. So, he's given them these promises here. And then he tells them, Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb, for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So why is God telling them to remember the law of Moses? Okay, First off, this isn't teaching a work salvation in the Old Testament. That's not what He's doing. Because here's the truth. If they would have remembered the law of Moses, then they would have... Then they wouldn't have rejected the teaching of John the Baptist. Okay, now think about this. Okay, John the Baptist came preaching repentance to them. What would they say? We have Abraham as our father. They thought that just because they were Jews, they were all good. They rejected the preaching of John. The problem that they had, they did not see themselves as sinners during that time. They they missed that. 
And the truth is, if they would have remembered the law of Moses, they would have had no problem seeing themselves as sinners, would they have? I mean, look at the state that they were in. Look at how wicked things were when Jesus walked this earth and yet they couldn't see themselves as sinners. Why? Because they didn't know the law of Moses. Why is it? We've been preaching on Old Testament law. Uh, I preached a message a while back. Uh, or when I was at the Red, uh, Red Out Preaching Conference, I preached, uh, did a message about the love of God and was showing how the way, only way we can understand the love of God is by learning the Old Testament. Learning what sin is. When we see what the Bible expects from us, when we see what sin is, we're going to see ourselves as in need of a Savior. We are not going to be able to do anything but see ourselves as wicked, vile sinners. Anybody who could read the Old Testament and not see themselves as a sinner is blind. And the Bible teaches that the Jews are blind. They read the law with a veil over their heart. Why? Because they're not people of faith. And the truth is, when John the Baptist came back, they did not see themselves as sinners. And the very reason for that is because they had, did not remember the law of Moses. But you know what they did remember? They remembered their traditions. Remember, Jesus was constantly rebuking them because they transgressed the law to follow their traditions. I mean, they just made a huge deal about tithing, uh, mint, nanus, and cumin, but they had omitted the weightier matters of the law. So they had they basically come up with their own religion. They came up with their own religion where they had their things they made a great big deal of, but they actually ignored the law. So when John the Baptist came preaching to them, they didn't see a problem. And isn't that the same attitude that they had in Malachi? Because remember in chapter three, when he said, You've robbed you've robbed me, and when have we robbed where have we robbed God? That was the in Malachi. Whenever he's rebuking them for things, they kept asking the question, "When did we do that?" It's the same attitude. Same attitude they had in Malachi is the attitude they had when John the Baptist returned. But they, if they would have remembered the law of God, they would have realized they needed to repent. They would have realized they needed a Savior. When John would have said, "Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world." They would have rejoiced knowing that they needed their sins taken away. But they didn't see it. And they ended up, ended up killing the Messiah. The Bible teaches in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 22 that the law is our schoolmaster to bring us salvation. Go ahead and turn over there. Let me read. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 22. It says, But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Okay? I don't want to get too sidetracked here. Have concluded all under sin. Remember in Romans what it said about Israel? God hath concluded them in unrighteousness. God put Israel in the exact same boat that all the Gentiles were in. Remember that. It says, but before faith came. We were kept under the law for dispensationalist teach. This is before, you know, salvation by grace through faith. Before the dispensation of grace. Before the dispensation of faith. Alright? No, when it's talking about before faith came, this is talking about for you as an individual. Because do you all realize before you got saved, you were under the law. And I proved that from the book of Romans. I've preached that before. If you're not saved today, you're under the law. 
And when you, if you don't get saved, when you stand before God, you're going to be judged according to the law. And then you know what? Then the mixed fabrics thing is going to matter during that time. Okay? Because you're under the law. But those of us who are under grace, we're not worried about that. Okay? That's another, that's another message there. But notice, the whole world is under the law until faith comes. Okay? And that's not a dispensation of time. That's an individual thing. Okay? So before faith came, we were kept in the law, shut up under the faith, which should afterward be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So that lines up perfectly with everything we've been teaching so far. So the laws are schoolmaster, but the Jews skipped school. They played hooky. They did not remember the law of Moses. And that's why we see them so down on Jesus for talking to the Gentiles and talking to the heathen. They should have seen themselves like the Gentiles. They should have seen themselves like the heathen seeing as they'd committed all the same sins. But you know, unfortunately, they missed that. They didn't see it. So verse 6. Okay. Or verse 5. So behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. John the Baptist, I believe, was the fulfillment of that or would have been the fulfillment of that. And look at this. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Okay? What does that mean? Because this is what John, the preaching of John the Baptist was supposed to do. Turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Okay? What, what does that mean? Well, turn over to Luke chapter 1 and verse 13. I think, I think we get a little more clarity into this Scripture when we look at Luke chapter 1 and verse 13. It says, But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Alright? So, there's no doubt when the angel said this here, that John the Baptist was who Malachi prophesied about. And he's going to turn the hearts of the children uh, to the fathers. And so what did that mean? What, what did that look like exactly? Well, first off, I think it, it basically means he's going to get them all on the same page. Okay? Because first off, sometimes, you know, you have generation going one direction, another generation going another direction. I mean, what is the typical, you know, what is this kind of our nature to do? It's to rebel against the previous generation, isn't it? But notice, he is trying 
to prepare Israel as a nation to receive the Messiah. His preaching was supposed to unite the entire nation. Now, did it do that? Did John the Baptist succeed in doing that? No. And not because John the Baptist did anything wrong, because they rejected. Okay? It's, it's not a one-way street, it's a two-way street. John the Baptist did his part. John the Baptist fulfilled his role. Israel did not do what they were supposed to do. I mean, he came, he had the Holy Spirit on him, but they rejected. So, what does this mean now? Since this did not happen, and folks, it didn't happen, then now that means God has to come and smite the earth with a curse, doesn't it? Isn't that what that means? Because to me, I think this Malachi 4 6 alone proves that there is an alternate, uh, not an alternate ending, oh, yeah, an alternate ending, you could say. There's an alternate path, an alternate way. Because this prophecy is clear right here. I'm going to send John the Baptist, or I'm going to send Elijah. He's going to turn the hearts of the children of the hearts of the, vice versa. And if it doesn't happen, I'm going to smite the earth with a curse. Okay? And it didn't happen. They did not get on board. Okay, because notice also in Luke how it, how it said, um, and many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord. Or not that verse, uh, verse 13. Or no, no, no. I'm sorry, I keep losing my spot. Verse 17. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Okay? He's, he's trying to get all of them right. He's trying to get them all on the same page. This did not happen as a nation, so that means he's got to come and smite the earth with a curse according to this prophecy. So what does that mean? What would that curse look like? Have you ever thought about that? Reading that? Because I, I, I did. I thought about it a lot. I'm like, okay, well... What would that mean if he comes and smites the earth with a curse? Well, I personally believe he's saying if people don't get right, I'm going to destroy. I'm going to destroy them. All of them. I, I personally believe this is a prophecy here. Basically, him showing, I'm going to come and I'm going to destroy the world. And, the, and so, look at what it says in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. Because what does that curse look like? Well, it says Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. I think what we're seeing prophesied right here is that when Christ returns, if there is not a people that's cleaned up, that's purified themselves, that is able to offer up an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord, that He is going to destroy them. Now, when Jesus Christ came, was there a people purified? No. People who are going to offer up an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord? No. What does that mean? It means cursed. You know what it means? Death to everyone. Just like God had destroyed the entire world with a flood by water before, now He's going to destroy everyone except for those who are ready. Those who are purified, He's going to destroy with fire. Was anyone ready? Was anyone purified when Jesus Christ came to this earth? No. They were not ready. There was not even one nation on the earth that was ready. 
Were there some righteous individuals here and there? Yes, but was there even one nation? No. And think about it. God had chosen Israel to be that nation. God had chosen a people of the earth. He had chosen Israel. He chose the least of the people. He gave them His law. He gave them a path to salvation. He gave them His law, the sacrifices. He gave them all those things. He helped them along the way. But what did they do? They reject. What does that mean? That means everyone's got to die. But... Is that what happened? No. See, that prophecy is an Old Covenant prophecy. I'm, I'm going to come, and if there isn't a people ready for Me, I'm going to smite the earth with a curse. But the truth is, God didn't smite the earth with a curse. You know why? Because Galatians 3.13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth upon a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So notice, God didn't smite the earth with a curse. You know what He did do though? Smote Jesus with a curse. And just like the whole world would have died and gone to hell if God would have smote the earth with a curse, He ended up doing that to Jesus instead. And the truth is, what we have here in the, the end of the Old Testament, the last prophecy we see in the Old Testament is God prophesying, I'm going, to send, I'm going to send Elijah. He's going to prepare you. He's going to clean you up. You're going to offer up an acceptable sacrifice to Me. And if you don't, I'm going to smite the earth with a curse. Now, when Jesus Christ came, when the preaching of John came, they didn't listen. They did not receive John. But you know what God did instead? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Okay? Why would they perish? Because they're under the curse of the law. According to what God had given in the Old Testament, when Jesus Christ came to this earth, God would have been completely justified to wipe it all out. Everyone that had ever lived up to that point had sinned. Everyone that had ever lived had failed. They were sinners. Even though there were people that had faith, they were all sinners, weren't they? And the blood of those bulls and goats could not have saved them. So instead of God smiting the world with a curse... He smote His own Son. The Bible said too, it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. So Jesus Christ went and became the curse for us. That right there is the alternate ending. The ending that we could have had is John the Baptist shows up. He gets rejected. Jesus Christ preaches. He gets rejected. And then the day of the Lord comes and then everyone gets wiped out. That's what could have happened. And God would have been just. According to what we see in the Old Testament law, that could have happened. You say, but what about all those people that God promised to protect and all those people God promised to spare in those Old Testament prophecies? There weren't any of those people. None of those people did any of those things that they were supposed to do. They never did the sacrifices right. They didn't live good enough. So the alternate ending is, instead of God smiting the world, Jesus Christ is smitten for us And that is the New Testament. That is the New Testament God replaced 
the Old Testament with the New Testament providing a better way. And thank God, thank God for that. And so, Malachi 4.6, I believe was ultimately a prophecy that ultimately condemned the entire world because Israel did not do what they were supposed to do. And so there... and. There had to be a prophecy to condemn the entire world. Otherwise, what's John 3.16 all about? Why, why is everybody going to perish? I'll tell you why. Because they're under the curse. Everyone who is not of faith is under the curse of the law. And what's the curse of the law? You've got to keep all the laws. And even as a nation where God gave Israel all these sacrifices and things that they could do, they couldn't do it. They failed. And even when He sends Elijah, and even when God sends His own Son, they rejected Him. They killed Him. Yet at the same time, God made a way. But notice how that way, that new covenant, it was not something that was just for Israel, was it? It wasn't just for Israel. It was for the whole world. That's why in Malachi chapter four, verse you know, in Malachi chapter four, it's about Israel giving them instructions for what to do. That's why in Zechariah chapter fourteen, it's talking about you know there'll be no more Canaanite in the land. Yet by the time Jesus Christ comes on earth after he's rejected, Israel is guilty of all the same sins that the Gentiles are guilty of. So in order for them to have a hope of salvation under this new covenant, it has to be not just for one nation anymore because God couldn't get a nation out of this earth. Think about that. God couldn't find one nation on this earth that would follow His laws and receive Him. Not one. There was not one people that would do it. So God ended up having to raise up a new nation through Jesus Christ. And it includes the entire world. So do you see why now it is so foolish? It is stupid. It is ignorant. It is repulsive to be about nationality. Do we not, do we not see where race should play no part in the church? Do we not see how foolish it is to lift up a people because of their bloodline like Baptists are doing the Jews? Do we not see how foolish that is? They are not a special people. The Jews could not keep the law. They could not follow these instructions. They, I mean, with all the mercy God gave them, they couldn't even listen to the preaching of John the Baptist and just offer up a good sacrifice for Jesus Christ. I mean, we don't even see him trying. They didn't even try to get right at the preaching of John the Baptist. They didn't even try to offer a sacrifice to Jesus Christ. What did they do? They killed his messengers. That's what they did. Why? Because. Man is sinful. The only way there's going to be a people of God is they must be born again. That's the only way. And that is what the New Testament is all about. That new and that better way. And thank God for that way. We have hope because of that. So, God concluded Israel in unrighteousness. God put them in the same boat that we're in. They are no different than us today. They are sinners too whose only hope is Jesus Christ. And when the day of the Lord comes, physical Israel will be on the receiving end of judgment. We will be treading them down. 
during that time. That's what they have to look forward to unless they get saved. And these clowns that want to keep going back to the Old Covenant and pulling promises out of there and making it, making it for them, they're, they're missing the boat. According to the Old Covenant, the entire world should be torched already. But it didn't get torched yet, did it? Why? Because God sent His Son making a way of salvation. And one of these days, the day of salvation is going to end. And then that day of the Lord that was prophesied that should have come 2,000 years ago is going to come. That day is coming. But it's not going to be, it's not going to be pretty for Israel during that day. So anyway, that's the book of Malachi. Basically, the final, the final message to Israel in the Old Testament. The final prophecy. Ending. If you don't do this, I'm going to come and smite the earth of the curse. Guess what? They didn't do it. But God, instead of smiting over the curse, smote His Son Jesus Christ instead. John 3.16 is the alternate ending. And I'm thankful for it. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You so much for Your Word. I pray this was a help and uh, was clear to everyone. We thank You for sending Your Son uh, to become a curse for us. There is no doubt, Lord, that um, while we like to talk about Israel and their failure, uh, we definitely would have failed too, but we thank You that You sent Jesus Christ to come and do it all for us in our place. And I pray You'll help us as we try to uh, spread that Word and spread that message to all those who are still under the law. Help us to help them, us to teach them that they are under a curse right now and that they need Your Son if they're going to be saved. In Your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand.